On a hill overlooking the village of Darmstadt, Germany, there's a castle. It's in ruins now. Only two towers and a chapel remain intact. The rest is just crumbling rock, arches that lead to nowhere, windows without glass. But more than 300 years ago, in the 1600s, this castle was home to the von Frankenstein family. And on August 10th, in 1673, a child was born here. A child who would grow up to become a wild, brilliant, even dangerous experimenter. What you might today call a mad scientist. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura. A celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and terrifying places. How do you do? Today, we are about to unfold the story of Frankenstein. We'll visit the real Castle Frankenstein and meet the actual mad scientist who was born there. A man of science who sought to create a man after his own image without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. We'll learn about alchemy, powders, potions, poisons, and we'll hear the story of one man's quest for enlightenment to conquer life and death. I think it will thrill you. Welcome to Halloween week on Atlas Obscura. Our first spooky episode after this. It might even horrify you. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Okay, a quick refresher on the story of Frankenstein. So in the book, there is a scientist named Dr. Frankenstein. Yes, yes, it's the doctor, not the monster. I think everyone knows that by now. Anyway, Dr. Frankenstein becomes obsessed with the idea of bringing a dead person back to life. So he cobbles together bones, flesh, and a brain from different bodies and transforms them into the single living being, his monster. Believe it or not, this happens pretty early in the book. It's like right away. And the doctor spends the next 200 or so pages working through some, some big-time regrets. But we're not here to talk about that. We're going to go back to the reanimation of human flesh 
and where Mary Shelley, the author of Frankenstein, might have gotten some of those ideas from. Would would Mary Shelley have been kind of aware of, of alchemy as a thing? Definitely. Yeah, alchemy was, you know, it was being, it was a subject in school. Everyone kind of knew about it in the same way everyone kind of knows about chemistry today, even if you can't, you know, list any elements on the periodic table. This is Sarah Dern. She's a new editorial fellow at Atlas Obscura, and she's also written a book all about alchemy. So th- this is a thing I definitely noticed when you joined the Atlas Obscura <laughs> team. I was like, huh, that is extremely intriguing. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about alchemy? Like you wrote this book called The Beginner's Guide to Alchemy. What, what is alchemy? In its most simple form, alchemy is the art of transformation. And alchemists thought about transformation in kind of two ways. There's esoteric alchemy, which is inner alchemy, um, which is all about the transformation of the soul and of the mind. And then there's exoteric alchemy, which is probably what most people imagine with all the the beakers and potions and (laughs) gray-haired men and women in their basement laboratories, (laughs) you know, mercury. (laughs) Alchemy has been around for thousands of years. Early philosophers and experimenters were practicing it in ancient Egypt, in ancient Greece. And in the 600s and 700s, it was widespread across the Middle East. And by the time Europe was starting to edge towards the Age of Enlightenment, lots of major thinkers were really into alchemy. A lot of, like, Isaac Newton and Galileo, they considered themselves alchemists first. It's only, like in historians looking back that we are, like, defining them as something different to that. These days, alchemy sort of gets a bad rap. Like, it, you know, lead into gold. It's just a bunch of weird fake science stuff. But a couple hundred years ago, alchemists were driven by this really sincere and spiritual quest for knowledge. In their workshops, they were working on distilling matter to its most purest and basic forms, basically trying to discover elements in that process. And spiritually, they were trying to achieve the same kind of purity and simplicity. It mixed mysticism and religion with experimentation pretty fluidly. So it's just, yeah, they weren't weren't hacks. (laughs) Yeah, although some of them were, which brings me to one of my favorite alchemists of all time. Uh, And and back into our, our Halloween theme here. So Can you tell me a little bit about Johann Conrad Dippel? Most certainly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Johann Conrad Dippel was very fond of himself. He was an alchemist. He was born in 1673 Mm -hmm. in Castle Frankenstein, which is in Frankfurt, uh, Germany, just south of Frankfurt. Cue cue the lightning strike. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and... He was just, like, a wackadoo character. Castle Frankenstein had at one point been owned by the von Frankenstein family. By the time Dippel was born there, the family had sold it, and it might have actually been used as a hospital. Dippel's dad was a Lutheran clergyman, and so was his grandfather and his great-grandfather. And when Dippel was a young man, his family sent him to study theology at the university. He was a brilliant student, but he was also really full of himself. Yeah, I mean, I think we all know that person who, like, thinks they're really smart, thinks they can kind of do anything, and they prob- and they are smart, but 
Yeah, everyone kind of hated him uh, also at universities. <laughs> like he was getting in fights all the time. He was a bit of a, like, a, he liked his drama. <laughs> While he was at university, Dipple also started studying alchemy. Again, this wouldn't have been unusual at the time. But before long, Dipple was absolutely obsessed. So, okay, he, he decides, I'm going to be an alchemist. I'm really into alchemy. I'm going to do lectures on alchemy. What yeah. was he chasing? What was his kind of thing? What every alchemist was sort of chasing, which was in the Philosopher's Stone. The Philosopher's Stone. You might have heard of it before, possibly because of Harry Potter. Anyway, alchemists had different ideas about what exactly the Philosopher's Stone even was and what it would do once they discovered it. But basically, all of them kind of agreed that if they found it, it would mean they had mastered knowledge. By achieving the Philosopher's Stone, you achieve enlightenment. It is the end game. It means you've, you've made it. Alchemists like Dipple believed that they would create the Philosopher's Stone by transforming substances, by burning them, dissolving them, or distilling them in phases. And at one point, Dipple must have thought, well, hey, I could use this method to transform anything into anything. And so he came up with a foolproof plan and quit his job. Yeah, so at that point, he he was in Berlin and he had like a bunch of creditors that he kind of was like, hey, give me your money, I can turn lead into gold. And they were like, that's a great idea. Um, <laughs> Love it. Love it. Do it. Here's some money. <laughs> yes. Here's some money. Go for it. And when it didn't work out after about, I think it's like seven or eight months later, um, he kind of had to go on the run. And that's when he he's pulling together things like leather, blood, ivory, and horns. And he produces by distillation, which is an alchemical process, this black oil. And he is pretty sure this black oil is the universal medicine. It's the elixir of life. He called it Dipple's oil. And he claimed it could cure anything from the common cold to epilepsy. But it's safe to say it was not the elixir of life. If it's like reduced bones and animal parts and it's this like black, tarry substance, it doesn't sound like good to take. It sounds unpleasant. No, no, I definitely, it definitely, it's actually in World War II, they used Dipple's oil. Um, it was this dark color, it was an unpleasant spell, and they would coat the, the lining of wells to make the water undrinkable and so the enemy couldn't drink water. That is 100% the opposite of what Dipple is saying this is. He has made an extremely effective poison. Uh, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Myths swirl pretty heavily with reality here. So it's hard to say for sure, but legend has it that Dipple returned to Castle Frankenstein and tried to trade the recipe for his oil for the castle. We can say for sure that that plan did not work out. But Dipple kept experimenting on all sorts of things. Of course, to really go for it, to really get that mad scientist gold star, Dipple needs one more ingredient. The whole reanimating human flesh thing. His experiments, like, he does at a certain point talk about, like, soul transference, and he believed that you could possibly take a cadaver and, like, put a new soul into that cadaver. Okay. Uh, and he <laughs> okay, now we're talking. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess, yeah, that's a question. Was was Dipple working with cadavers? 
Do we know? We don't know. Okay. But he was likely working with human bodies at some point. Um, how how does he, one do a soul transference? Just for the just just for my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're just not, not for me. Just for a buddy <laughs> wanted to know. Well, wah wah, they didn't quite figure it out. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> surprise, yeah. surprise. Um, but we know Dipple, and one of his sources, he talks about using a funnel to <laughs> move the soul into another body. I like which. I mean. It makes perfect sense to me. You take the one, you tip it up into the funnel, into the other one, bada bing, bada boom. We're done. Soul transference, the old funnel method. I like that. Very simple. Uh, Well, so all of the, this brings us back almost to our starting point, which is just to list something. Dipple, born in Castle Frankenstein, super interested in soul transference. This is like all the ingredients. Is there a connection between, you know, Mary Shelley and her Dr. Frankenstein and Johann Conrad Dippel, who, like, seems to fit the bill to, like, a certain degree. Is there any sense that there's a connection there? I really hope there is, because it's just too good a story yeah. for it not to be connected. And I think that's why scholars are continuing to debate it all the freaking time, because it's it's just, it's, it's too good. Like, it, it's also just kind of amazing to think that you know, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is a work of fiction, and here were real-life people doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, this pursuit in the novel isn't at all removed from the pursuit of actual people that were living at one point in time. Some Frankenstein scholars point to one more piece of evidence. We do know that Mary Shelley was traveling in a village nearby Frankenstein Castle was a place to visit in the same way castles are today. It's not impossible that she met someone in town and they were like, hey, you're going to Frankenstein Castle. There's a weird dude that lived there once. Scholars will probably never stop debating whether Castle Frankenstein is where Mary Shelley's Frankenstein came from or if Dipple inspired her doctor. But either way, When you look at the text, there's no denying some similarities. When you think about what Dipple was pursuing in terms of he was, you know, he went about it in a grotesque way, but he was looking for the elixir of life. He was looking for this universal cure. And in the same way, Frankenstein, the doctor Frankenstein, is in awe of this creation. But then it very quickly kind of turns into this sublime awe, this horrific awe, this thing that is amazing and horrific simultaneously. And there's an interesting connection there with, like, alchemists, because alchemists, you know, they are constantly looking for enlightenment. But when you look at the case of Dipple, it's sort of... It's very easy to see the sort of horrific side of it, you know, taking animal parts, cutting up cadavers. It's amazing, and it's also horrific. And and that was what really Mary Shelley was getting at. Like, should we do this? Should we do it just because we can? Special thanks to Sarah Dern for talking with me today. Check out her book, which is called A Beginner's Guide to Alchemy. 
Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Sarah Wyman. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Manolo Morales, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney, Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. That's not quite the right kind of laugh. (laughs) I got to get better at spooky laughing. Witness Docs from Stitcher. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nuh-uh. Hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew. Grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash hi. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.